Okay. Okay, hello and welcome back to our study of the Dhammapada. Today we continue on with the Jittavagga. The Jittavagga, uh, chapter number three. Means we finished chapters one and chapters two already. And this starts with verses number 33 and 34, which are based on a story about a monk called Megya. So the verses go as follows. Pandanang chapalang jittang. Durakang du nivaranang, du nivarayang. Ujung karoti medavi, usu karova tejanang. Vari jova thale kipto. Okamo kata ubato. Pari panta ti dang jitang mara de yang pahatawe. These are the two verses for today. So, verse number, the translations, verse number 33 is Pandanang the mind that is fickle and unsteady. Durakhang difficult to guard, duniwarayang, difficult to uh, forbid or to to stop, to keep in check. Ujungkaroti medhavi, a wise person makes straight, just as usukaro, just as a fletcher makes an arrow straight. And verse 34, Varichova, just as a waterborne creature or a fish, Talekito is thrown upon the, cast upon the, the bare ground, taken out from the water, Okamokata Ubato. So cast upon the ground of having been taken out from the water. Paripandati Dangjitang. So too the, does this mind waver. Or, or flail about. Mara de yang, it is the realm of Mara, Pahatave, and it should be discarded. Or the realm of Mara should be discarded. The mind that is fickle or the mind that is wavering. So, two very important verses from a practical point of view, and we have a fairly brief story because the story is actually told elsewhere. Uh, so in the Dhammapada here we have it in very, very short form just mentioning what this story was about. So the story is about a monk named Megya who in the time, at some time in the Buddha's life was the Buddha's uh, attendant. And so he would carry the Buddha's bowl when they went on Pindapada, when they went on alms round. And one time when they were going on alms round or, or, or traveling, uh, Megya had suddenly this urge to go and practice meditation 
in this this forest grove that he had seen by the side of the by the side of the road. He couldn't explain it, but he felt like he had to he had to go and practice meditation. That there was something that just wonderful about this little this, this forest grove. So he asked the Buddha to take to take his bowl, and the Buddha said, "Look, I'm I'm without a, an attendant. Don't." Uh, you have to, you know, have to carry my bowl. For, you, know, you have to act as my attendant. He said, and he said, no, no, please, please take your bowl, because he couldn't understand why the Buddha was uh, so so vehement that he should have to carry the Buddha's bowl. He said, well, why can't the Buddha carry his own bowl? He said, no, no, carry you, because this would be the, the duty of an attendant monk to carry the bowl. But it seemed like a really silly thing. Megya tried to explain that he wanted to go and practice meditation, and normally the Buddha would say, fine, fine, go and practice and take his bowl back. But at this time the Buddha refused. And for the third time and finally the Buddha consented in silence, took his bowl back and continued on his way. Megya in the meantime went into this, into this uh, grove to practice meditation. And as soon as he sat down he felt his, his mind full of lust and just these vivid images and, and memories of the past came up and he was fill filled with all sorts of unwholesome states. And so he, he he quickly got up and went back to to, to meet the Buddha and said he, he was sorry that he had left. And the Buddha said, I told you not to go. He said, and he told him actually a past life story. Somehow it goes that he said, you know, in a past life, that, that grove, the reason why it's so attractive to you is because it's a grove that you used to uh, meet up with women in and so on, something like that. And so the Buddha used this as an example to to, to admonish the monks that the mind is quite fickle and you shouldn't cling, you shouldn't follow after it, that the mind can lead you in so many different ways. In one moment the mind can change and, and lead us off into uh, defilement and leave us off, lead us off into the wrong direction. We might be sitting in meditation or we might be living our lives in a, a peaceful way, in, in a wholesome way, and suddenly something comes up and sets us off and, 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 and carries us away. So the, Buddha's, the Buddha gave this explanation that this is the nature of the mind. The mind is fickle, the mind is unsteady, the mind is crooked. And he uses this, this image of a, of a fletcher straightening an arrow. So what he's saying is that the, the, the mind in its ordinary state is not straight, it's crooked. And going here and going there, the mind, the mind is clinging. Like if you look at the hand, when the hand clings to something, it's because it's not straight. If you straighten your hand out, you can't cling to anything. Right? Or a hook, for example. Because in the next verse he's talking about fish and Mara, the bait of Mara. No? The only reason Mara can catch us is because our mind is, is, is crooked. The mind has something that, that he can hook into. But when the mind is straight, then uh, there, there's no entry for Mara and there's no way for us to, uh, to, to get caught. So, from a, from, you know, the, the story is just one example of how this occurs, and it's a really good uh, example for us to to see how, in meditation, our mind can 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 carry us away with it, that we can get carried away by the the fickleness of the mind. The mind is difficult to guard. It's something that can fall into greed. It can fall into anger. It can fall into delusion very easily. It's difficult to guard, and it's difficult to to forbid even to just stop the mind from, uh, from, from thinking this or thinking that, from, from getting angry, from getting upset. And uh, recently one, one meditator was explaining how she, 
got very angry and at, at work. Um, some, someone said something to her, told, was disappointed in her work, and she was so upset. But the bad thing wasn't the upset, she said. The bad thing was, uh, was, was, was this anger that she had for herself um, because of how upset she was. So she, she, she wasn't, the, the problem wasn't what they had said to her. She, she, she wasn't so uh, upset about what they had said, but she was upset that she had got so upset. And this was a, became a huge problem, and so she was berating herself, and, and um, uh, uh, was very angry at herself for allowing herself to, be, herself to become so um, out of, or to, to become so unstable in the mind. So the, the Buddha, in, in another sense, the Buddha is just giving us a, um, a teaching here to, to allow us to see this clearly, to not become upset when this occurs, because actually the truth is the problem isn't the upset. The problem is that you get upset about it. Right? When, when you get angry, then you think there's some problem. Or when you have lust arise, so this, this monkey had some feeling arise, and he didn't know what it was, but he thought, of course, that he should follow it. And this is really the problem, is, is the reactions to our reactions, the re reactions to our emotions. When you want something, wanting isn't a real problem until you, cha until you chase after it until you try to achieve the, your desires. Anger isn't a real problem until you say, I can't take it anymore, I have to go and, and, and act upon this. I have to hurt someone or I have to cause suffering. And so the Buddha, on the, on the one hand here, he's, ex, he's just explaining that this is the way it is. And your job is not to, 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 to change this. No, you can't do niwaranang, the Buddha said, you, it's very difficult to forbid it. The, 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 the duty is to make them make, create a clear mind, to create a straight mind, to change this habit of the mind. The, the mind is going here and going there, is uh, ch taking us away, is crooked. No? The mind is, is following all sorts of crooked paths. The goal of our practice is to straighten the mind. The, 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 the crookedness here um, is uh, it's quite interesting because even in, even in meditation practice we can give rise to this sort of crookedness or, or even as monks, even in a monastic setting. So for example, we, we know that we have to give up greed, we know that we have to give up anger, we know that we have to give up delusion. And yet we'll always find little ways, devious ways of, of justifying our defilements. So the, the, the defilements will not really be the problem, but the problem is this crooked mind that is, uh, is, is quite devious. So the example here is Megia, who, who perhaps even knew that he had lust arising, but, or, or knew that he was, he was being impartial, but he tried to justify it and say, oh, but, but I want to go and practice meditation. And the truth was he was just somehow attracted to this and he had some incredible desire to go into that, this grove, which had carried over apparently from his past lives. But we see this with, with so many things in our lives. We, we are talking about food, for example, and when you, um, you want this or want that food and then you make excuses, well, like it's good for this or it's good for that, or when you want to practice yoga, for example, having an argument about yoga, well, you want to practice yoga because you say it's, it's good for your health or it's good for this or it's good for that, but the, the, you know, this, the mind will find many, many, many excuses to allow us to, to, uh, to, to follow the things that we enjoy, to follow the things that, that bring us pleasure. We, we want, 
we were talking about even just getting this, this we want to get this drink in the morning no and and you can make all sorts of excuses about how good it is for you and so we were we were arguing or we were talking we were saying uh, but it's so good for you well, well yes it's good for us but it's not good for us to want it no. if you get it that's great it'd be good for your body and so on uh, and and it would, would even be good for your your meditation practice to allow you to to continue but the greed for it the wanting for it of course that doesn't mean you're going to get it and in fact if you do get it it's going to it's come about in an unwholesome way and you'll you that will be a, a far worse a problem in your meditation, this this greed for it. So we 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 have to be quite patient with our defilements, and we shouldn't let our defilements define either how good our practice is or how bad our practice is. So we shouldn't we shouldn't take the defilements as being a sign that we're not practicing well, or or, or a sign that we're we're a failure in the practice. But we also shouldn't take the defilements to you know, as as a justific or try to justify them, and try to pretend that they're okay, you know, so we can get what we want and so on. We we do this with um, our robes. You know, we think, well, I need good robes for this or for that, or we do it with our our lodging. We do it with all of our all of our requisites. It's very easy to find uh, excuses for having good things and so on. We use it for our meditation practice. So, for example, yoga. I mean, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with yoga. You know, yoga can be a good source of concentration and it can create states of mind that are, are quite stable and, and quite quite powerful. Uh, but the, the justification for it, you know, the, the idea that somehow it has this benefit or that benefit and, and, and therefore the clinging to it, you know, this is the problem. When, when we take these states as being somehow intrinsically meaningful, when we, we find some justification and develop a view based on them. Because, of course, from a Buddhist point of view, yoga has its associated views and the idea that yoga is of some intrinsic benefit and, and, and the samadhi that comes from it is, is actually enlightenment or so on, which is, which is a, a philosophy in the Hindu religion. The same even goes for wisdom. We can, we can um, you know, when we look at the spectrum of Buddhist thought and Buddhist theory, there are many different theories and opinions, and people even come to the opinion that an arahant, for example, can still have greed, can still have anger, can still have delusion. So it's a way of justifying our own defilements, because we think, well, I'm an arahant, but I still have greed, anger, and delusion. Well, then that means an arahant can have greed, anger, and delusion. So we give rise to a very, very wrong view based on our misunderstanding. And this is what we call the crookedness of the mind, the pandanang chapalang, the mind that is... Uh, not stable, not not straight. And so we have this very powerful teaching that the Buddha gave on making the mind straight. This this explanation of, of the Buddha's teaching as being the ujukaro, ujukara, chitujukama, uh, the, the act of making the mind straight. And this is this is a really good explanation of why we practice, for example, to to note things. So when you're walking, to note to yourself, walking, as the Buddha said, gachantova gachamiti gachanti. Well, why should you say, I am walking? You know that you're walking already. When you have pain, why should you remind yourself that you have pain? You know that there's pain, it's no good. It's a cause for suffering. What we're trying to do is straighten the mind out in regards to the pain. So instead of thinking, this is my pain, this is bad pain, oh, I should move now, and justifying ourselves, saying, well, if I don't move, maybe I'll get an injury, or, or, or so on. 
instead of trying to find that justification, which is considered the crookedness of the mind, we straighten the mind. And the mind becomes straight in regards to the pain, and it's only aware of this is pain. When there's pain, the mind knows there is pain. When one knows, when one thinks, then knows there is thoughts. When one has emotions, one knows this emotion has arise. There's anger, there's greed, there's delusion, liking, disliking, drowsiness, and so on. Whatever exists in the mind, we know that that exists. This is making the mind straight. Because clearly, the, when the mind knows that this is seeing or hearing or pain or so on, when, when it knows this is this, this is this, that's the straightest the mind can possibly be. If the mind says, this is me, this is mine, this is good, this is bad, it's already subjective. It becomes a crookedness, an entangled, a, a, a wavering of the mind. The mind is no longer fixed on the object itself. So you say, when walking, I know I'm walking already. Well, do you know you're walking? And how long do you know that you're walking? Maybe for one instant you know you're walking, but then you think, well, it's me that's walking, and this is good walking, or this is bad walking. I don't want to walk anymore. I'm bored of walking. I'm tired of walking, and so on. We give rise to all of the partiality, all of the defilements. So the straightness of the mind is even in regards to the defilements. When you want something, when you don't like something, when you, 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 even when you believe something, you believe that this is the truth. When you say, I believe this is the truth, that's, that's, that's the truth. But the truth is that you believe it. But it doesn't mean that what you believe is true. So even when we believe something, I have to say thinking, thinking, or believing, believing, if you like. And this is what makes the mind straight, not the belief, not the, the idea, not the <coughs> theory, not the logic, or so on. Because all of that can be crooked. You can, you can justify just about anything based on the crookedness of the mind. So this is the first part, very important, and it's a very clear explanation of what we're trying to do. Make the mind straight. When you know that, the, when, when, when you know that you're seeing, when you know that seeing is seeing, when you know that you're hearing, that hearing is hearing, and, and smelling and tasting, and when you know that pain is just pain, whatever arises, when you know it for what it is, this is making the mind straight. And eventually the mind naturally inclines towards this sort of experience. Pain is just pain, thinking is just thinking, and so on. So that's verse number 33. Verse number 34, yeah, the Buddha also taught for the same story, as a continuation of his explanation. He, he uses now, instead of the arrow, he uses the example of a fish. A fish out of water. Which is quite interesting, because you think, well, in the natural state, uh, the mind is fickle and, and agitated. But, but it's, it's actually not the natural state. The natural state of the mind would be a mind at rest. No? It, it has to have some cause for it to become agitated. And this is what happens. This is what we do throughout our whole lives. Because if you look at a child's mind, relatively speaking, even though it's already very agitated, relatively speaking, it's quite simple and quite quite direct. You know, if it wants something, it takes it. If it doesn't want something, it cries and so on. But humans, we are very devious, and we can we have these stresses and these worries and these concerns and these anger and hatred and and grudges that that children could never have, and so we've cultivated this. We've we've taken our mind out of its natural state. The Buddha said, Pabhasarangidang bhikkhavetitang, this mind, O monks, is, is beautiful. It's radiant. But it becomes defiled based on the defilement, based on the greed and anger and delusion that we cultivate, that we build up in the mind, that we develop in the mind.
causing us to not be stable, to, to not be uh, uh, straight in the mind. So that actually this, this idea of the fish is, is quite apt. When we, in, in normal, the, the way things actually go for most of us is when we come to meditate, we feel like the meditation is taking us out of, out of the water. But actually it's quite the opposite. The, the meditation is to, to help bring us back and calm us down and, and, and find the water again. But we become so used to this agitated state that we think when we come to meditate, we, 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 we say, let me out of here, get me back to my ordinary life, because we think that's where the stability is. But the truth is that the mind is like this in, at all times. The mind is fickle and wavering and, and, and all over. And it's only when we come to meditate that we can see this, so we think, oh, meditation and Buddhism, that, that takes us out of the water. Mm. But it, all it does is show us how, how out of the water we are, or how how uh, disturbed the mind actually is, just as a fish becomes disturbed out of water. And so, through the practice, we're coming to let go of these things. We're coming to give up the hooks. It's like a fish that has been hooked by the fisherman and, and wriggles back and forth. So we, we, take the, we take out the hooks. Everything that we desire, everything that we cling to, everything that we crave, everything that we hate and... and, and avoid and so on. We take this out. We, 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 we see the desire, we see the aversion for what it is and we straighten the mind. And when the mind is straight, it can no longer cling. And when it doesn't cling anymore, all the hooks are removed and we we're, back, we're put back into the water, in a sense. And the Buddha said this is, he, he, he explained how this is, uh, or, or he, he, he remarked how this is the realm of Mara, or, or in, in one sense, the bait of Mara. So these hooks are the hooks of Mara. And by Mara we mean, of course, evil, which is all of the greed and anger and delusion. So he says this is what we have to let go of. And in fact, in a, in one way of reading this is that he's telling us to let go of the mind. And if, if you like, it means letting go of the mind that is fickle, letting go of these mind states. When the mind wants something, you just see that it wants it. The hook is your attachment to it. If you want something and then you think, yes, I'm going to take it, then you're hooked. Even if you say, no, I'm not going to take it, you get angry and upset at it. No, no, no. How bad mind or something. It's still, still a, a clinging. There's still a hook. You're like, no, no, no. And you, you will stop, stop, stop. You're pushing it down and as a result, you're stuck with it. You're stuck to it even with anger, even with disliking it. So we never, we never want people to feel guilty or upset when they have addictions or when they have aversions, just to see them clearly. Because what, what, what the, any kind of liking or disliking, this is the, the hook, the clinging. Once you make your mind straight and you just know that is that, that is that, that is that, it feels exactly as though your mind is straight and you're no longer clinging to it. The mind no longer clings. There's no way it can cling and the mind is straight. So you remove the hook. This is the hook of Mara, and this is the way where we, the Buddha enjoins us to give it up and to let go of it. So that's the teaching for today. Just a short story, but two very important verses. One on uh, the straightening of the mind, and another one on the bringing the mind back to a state of, of of uh, natural um, 
purity. Just as a fish in water, the mind that is free from suffering is, lives in the world smooth and goes just like a fish in water. Most of us, we feel like a fish in water out of water. We've gotten so comfortable with our, with our state of suffering that we think meditation is actually causing suffering. But it's because only when we come back to meditate we see what we're doing to ourselves. And the truth is, once you meditate, the more you meditate, the more you realize what you've been doing to yourself. And you see, wow, all that suffering I had in my life, all those terrible things I was doing to other people, all of the problems I was causing, all of the conflicts that I had. Indeed, the Buddha was correct. The mind is fickle. Even, even in our ordinary lives, without meditation, the mind will run around but because you think this is right, this is good, you follow after it, you don't ever notice it. Only when you come to meditate and you come to try to bring the mind back to a natural state, do you notice it and you see how crazy the mind is. So for new meditators, this is a good teaching for us to, to, to learn, to, to realize that this is not a sign that the meditation is, is, is wrong or is bad. And it shouldn't be a sign, it shouldn't be something for us to become discouraged about. The, the, in the beginning, we're dealing with a mind that is unstable. And uh, it, it takes quite a bit of time. It takes, you have many, many hooks. No, you have to remove all the hooks slowly, slowly, slowly before you're going to be stable and at peace. So, reminding us that this is the nature of the mind and not to feel guilty or not to feel angry or not to hate ourselves for it but just to slowly, slowly see our defilements as they are, see the suffering as it is, see everything just as it is, and let go of any desire or aversion towards it. Okay, so thank you for tuning in, and that's all for today.